welcome to the latest Sarsa Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jess Raz. So Jess has worked at all levels of the game with athletes from the NBA, the WNBA, NBA G League, and the NCAA College League level. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your on-court basketball performance than Jess? So without further ado, it's time to welcome her onto the show. So Jess, welcome to the Science Sport Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm humbled and honored to be here. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Thank you for joining us. So can you just a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, uh, my name is Jess Roz. I'm a basketball performance development coach. That's kind of how I categorize myself because I'm just involved in all, um, all aspects of athletes, uh, performance um, and injury mitigation and nutrition, and sometimes they're therapists and I help them with a lot of different things. So I don't like to just categorize myself as just a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and so I'm currently located in the DMV, the Virginia area. I just uh, partnered with a guy named Alex McLean. Um, he's one of the top skills trainers in the world. He just opened up a facility and we're kind of rebranding it to one of the top performance training facilities in the DMV. Um, and I just started that about two weeks ago and just uh, building day by day. So kind of my breakthrough moment. But I've been in the industry for since I was 18 literally at the bottom, uh, mopping floors for a free gym membership, sneaking into gyms, uh, sneaking into my high school gym to train athletes for free, going outside with no equipment, um, you know, working the front desk. And I slowly over that past, um, you know, since I was 18 until I was 23, that was the grind uh, just doing everything and anything that I could uh, to be able to figure out what I wanted to do in the industry. Um, and then when I was 23, I was able to open up my own facility. So I am young, but I did start in the industry when I was 18 and I did open up my business when I was 23. So it's been a four year grind. Um, and so I just got kind of this breakthrough opportunity for me. So I'm really excited. Absolutely. Excellent. Obviously we're going to discuss basketball performance, which is uh, something that you're pretty good in. So, um, can you take us through then like what the key movements that a, a basketball player is going to make during the game? Yeah. I mean, let's just keep it simple. They got to be able to decelerate. They got to be able to accelerate. They got to be able to jump, land and sprint. Um, really all different movements that a lot of different athletes have to do, but they have to do it within shorter surface areas, uh, compared to, you know, American football or football or soccer. Um, and so those are really the, the key movements. And we operate in what I call this eight vector system. I didn't come up with it. Um, but I really have a huge philosophy behind the vectors. I mean, it's change of direction, change of vectors. It's not just moving change of direction. Isn't just side to side. You know, it's up and down, it's rotational to vertical, it's lateral to rotation. Like there's different vectors that we operate in. And so I really follow that philosophy. Um, and so, and then we operate along those vectors, but also those three planes of motion. So frontal transverse is primarily dominant um, in basketball. Um, but we see in the weight room, a lot of sagittal base work. I still do a lot of sagittal base work, um, but I make sure that the, sa the frontal and the transverse plane is really dominant. Um, and also fascial lines that could be a whole other conversation, but I'm really big into the fascial system. Um, Todd Wright is someone that I really look up to with that. Um, and I've learned a lot from him. Um, and then we all, we need all these physiological and neurological properties to be successful on the court. So even though the moves are simple, um, and, or sometimes they're very complex when we really break it down, um, there's certain checklists that we need for an athlete to be successful on the court. 
And um, what what would a, a checklist like that look like then? So what what are you looking for when you you see someone like that, they, they come in for maybe for the first time and you've got your checklist? What's what's on the checklist? What are you looking for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, can they operate in three planes of motion? Um, you know, I have some certain progressions and tests that I need. I mean, I follow this pyramid that I've made. You know, you start with your um, foundational base movements. Um, I'm really big in filling the buckets that aren't being filled on the court because these athletes have to specialize now at a younger and younger age because it's so competitive, especially now we have this thing called the transfer portal. Um, it's hard for high schoolers um, and JUCO players, uh, community college players, and even college athletes to continue to progress to the level that they want to progress to. Um, and so performance training, nutrition, injury mitigation, being available to play becomes your competitive edge. And so when an athlete comes in, do they have mobility and stability and positional awareness and confidence in these eight vectors, uh, whether it's, you know, balance, um, whether it's a lunge, whether it's, um, you know, hops and things like that. So again, operating in this eight vector, it's basically like you're standing in the middle of a clock and you're just working around um, into these like anterior, right anterior, um, all the way across. And so that's definitely something that I focus on um, first. Um, and then you know, um, do we have the tissue resiliency to accept eccentric braking forces? So I'm really big about building the brakes. Can they, you know, decelerate? Can they stop before we go? Um, can we um, decrease, you know, that amortization time that they spend on the ground? Because um, they have to be able to do these moves in 0.1 to 0.4 seconds. So I just kind of work my way up, just like you would build strength. You know, you start with that base, set the base, um, fill in the buckets that aren't being filled and then work at build capacity with some extensive plyos, things, strength, strength work, coordination, locomotive type work. Um, and then you build the brakes and then you increase um, that rate of force development. Um, and it's not all like vertical integration. I will still include, um, you know, going, you know, going back to the setting the platform and the brakes as we move through the off season into in season, et cetera. But I really follow that pyramid and that structure. Um, and that's really helped a lot. Absolutely excellent. And you, you touched on a couple of physical qualities there. So obviously there's lots of different movements that you've just mentioned in, in different vectors, but what are the physical qualities which then underpin those movements? Because it's great that you can move really well without any load or without any speed, but obviously they're going to need to do it quickly. So what, what kind of physical qualities are necessary? Yeah, I'm really big about those neurological properties. I think that's missed um, in the performance training um, industry as we focus so much on load and so much on strength and tissue resiliency, and that's really important. But I'm really big about those neurological properties. So um, elite movers, uh, you know, a Steph Curry, a Caitlin Clark, they have incredible movement literacy, incredible locomotive um, patterning, pattern stability. They have this thing called movement bandwidth, so just their movement capability. Um, and they just have a high level of nervous system development. And so they're categorized as a good mover. Um, and you can really see that on the court of how they play, how creative they are. And we're a part of that creative process and that technical and tactical process with our athletes. And so we need to put our athletes in positions, you know, where we do fill other buckets from other sports. Like I do throw in gymnastics based work. I do throw in, you know, uh, football based work, um, American football based work. I throw in all these different things um, so that I'm continuing to elevate an athlete's overall movement bandwidth, kind of that, that base, but I'm, you know, building the width um, so that I can have the tallest pyramid possible. So that's definitely something that I focus on. Yes, I do load. Um, I make sure that they're confident and they have length and strength and all these different 
positions that they're going to get into. But I really focus on this locomotive movement literacy and neurological property. So with with that in mind, then, how do you look to, to start to train those things? Because, yeah, so, so it sounds great. All right, let's say uh, you've got someone who's strong, for example, but doesn't move well. Um, yeah, so it sounds really easy that oh, just just get a I don't know um, a world class athlete and they move really well like obviously no, it doesn't yeah work yeah so yeah how, how do you start to train those things I think the quality of a really good coach is someone that can take someone that is a terrible mover and makes them a great mover um, someone that goes from unseen to seen and that's something that I really pride myself on you can like you said take the best athlete in the world and make them better but can you take a bad mover or someone that is considered a bad mover and make them a great mover. It's really just what I prioritize in the weight room. Um, so if I know this athlete has a lot of strength, we will still dose it. Um, but 75% of my programming is going to be based on the needs and the priorities that they need as an athlete. It is context specific, you know, what's their age, what's their training age, where are they at in their process? Also, what's their style of play and position? Um, what's the coach's feedback? Um, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of different, um, competing uh stimuli with people so it's like i'm having to ask communicate with a lot of different people maybe at the college level it's a little bit easier but you really have to go through this like everyone that's involved with this athlete and you know what do they need um you know how do they compare across the roster how do they compare across their goal population of where they want to go um i think that's really important that context is really important with your programming of how i program but generally they have a lot of strength. We're still going to maintain that strength. It is really important, but I want them to be able to um, prioritize movement. Um, and so that's, you know, putting them through, I go through this like prep and move phase. Um, and so this is again, filling things, um, buckets that aren't being filled. Uh, and then I go into a, um, a prime phase. Maybe this is our like locomotive ba base pattern, maybe some creative ladder drills or creative multi-directional movement where they really have to think outside the box where we're getting this brain foot connection where maybe they're messing up a little bit. I'm okay with that. Everything doesn't have to be perfect because sport is chaotic and unpredictable and not perfect. And so then you go into, I call it a go, um, execute, explode, like block. And that's where we work on our main change of direction movement, whether we're working on change of direction or when we're working on agility, because those are two separate things, um, or we're combining a little bit of both. So it really just depends on what the athlete needs. And again, that context, but that's typically how I go. And then whatever we need to load or stress, that'll be at the bottom, whatever support accessory work we need, I'll go through that. So that's really how I program. Um, and I get creative based on the athletes that's in front of me. But if I have an athlete that is a really bad mover, you don't really need to get super complicated on how you challenge that athlete. And when, when you, when you mention those blocks, is that like on a, you're talking about a day or are you talking about sequential blocks as a periodization? Uh, yeah. I mean, I go through like days again. I, I, uh, I have a lot of competing stimuli cause I'm in the private sector. Uh, so I don't always get to know what they're doing with practices and skills training. I try my best. I think what's great about my new move is now I'm going to be able to talk with a skills trainer and I'm going to be able to talk with coaches and an athletic trainer that's at the facility and be able to have this one-stop shop and one-stop communication with the athlete. So I really go off based on the communication with them. But yeah, it's typically day-to-day -day based on the priority. During the, um, you know, whatever time of year we're in, I prioritize probably two things and then I microdose whatever else we need. I think uh, this idea of um, kill two birds with one stone, I think you can do that. But if you start to do too many adaptations and too many qualities and try to build too many things at once, 
then you don't get better at anything. So I really try to prioritize what the athlete needs to work on. And it's okay to do the same things over and over again, in the weight room until they get it. And then you move on. I think this idea of volume is, is a problem. We just trying to do more and more with our athlete and trying to, you know, check off the box and our ego that we're giving our athletes a ton of work. Um, and we feel better about it, but it doesn't actually make them better on the court. So um, having my own progressions and regressions for certain exercises of where they need to be, um, starting from, you know, the mobility, stability, and then increasing velocity and or load over time. Um, that's kind of my approach. But yeah, it's typically day to day is that's kind of it's the prep move prime, our go, our load and our stress and maybe our support blocks. So when when we we tie, like, when we start to like look at exactly what that contains, there's, there's a lot of different things going on in there. Mm-hmm. I can imagine there's some people listening like, okay, right, you've whizzed through all of those things really quickly. And you go, right, okay, I need to do this and this and this. I'm interested to hear what they what they contain, right? So can you take us through what a session might look like with you? when you go through those different stages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just go through like what some certain exercises for the prep move and prime. Yeah, yeah. So like when, when so like an athlete's going to come in and yep. yeah, you're going to be, um, let's see, you get them on the bike for two minutes, they do a little uh, general warm up, you have a chat to them. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So let's just say it's a multi-directional change of direction day. Um, I'm really big about that. That's a That's a big movement. Um, because that's what sport is. And so again, I have that prep and move phase. So we're building length and strength. Maybe that's some mobility work uh, with the adductor, some spinal fluidity type stuff. So the, um, and hip, hip internal rotation. So a key position for change of direction is this T-spine, this T-spine rotation, this shoulder drop into a relative hip IR. And that's really, really common. And so I want to make sure that we have mobility, stability, and positional ownership in those positions that they are going to 100% see themselves in. And so if I'm able to, because of Davis's law, so if I'm able to train in those positions, um, those fascial lines, everything that's involved in the common positions in basketball, I'm going to have more um, muscle sequencing, force transmission in the in the in the movements that I need to have. So again, that prep and move phase is that length and strength. Uh, gymnastics based work. I do a lot of like rolling and crawling based patterns on the floor. Um, and then spinal fluidity, moving their T spine, creating motion, resisting motion, that type of stuff. And then I go into some like locomotive on the move coordinated movements. So your bounds, your skips, your multi-directional movement, I may throw in some ladder drills in there. Um, you know, not your classic ladder drills, like an icky shuffle or just like an in and out. I'll do some weird stuff where we're getting like some hip dissociation, um, multiple movements where they're, you know, they're tripping over their feet and things like that. And I kind of know that that's where they're at. And so that's our prep and move phase and they should be sweating. My warmups are like probably 15 to 20 minutes um, because I think that's, again, those 15 to 20 minutes compounded over time is going to be a lot of training. And so those prep and move phase um, in that prime can all kind of be together, I guess. And so um, that is kind of what that looks like on a change of direction day. Um, and then my go execute explode is just the progression that they're on for a change of direction. So I do a lot of band resisted over speed drill stuff. So let's just say we're working change of direction. We haven't worked the agility component yet. Um, you know, I'll do like a band resistant deceleration. So just going into a split stance, the, excuse me, the band is pulling you in faster. You're having to stop on a dime. We may start. Here's a progression that I do for that. It's a, you know, one step you hold. Then you back up. Let's do one, two steps. We're bringing in more speed, more velocity, which means we have more momentum to overcome. We stop on a dime. Maybe then we back up even more. We do three steps. One, two, three, decel. 
And that's a progression that we may do for um, the sagittal plane deceleration. And then I may add like a rotational with the band. So maybe I face laterally to the band and then I rotate that outside leg into a split stance. I hold, stop on a dime, and then pop back out. And so those are different things. I'm, you know, the go, execute, explode. You know, I'm hitting a sagittal base, change of direction or agility. I'm hitting a frontal plane and I'm hitting a rotational plane. So it's this 3D movement I always include in my change of direction days. So your prep, move, and prime, maybe is at lower intensities, maybe some extensive plyos, some low amplitude plyos, but then our go, execute, and explode phase, that's maybe our, um, you know, more intensive plyometrics, um, you know, and so, and then I go into some load and stress. So maybe that's some frontal plane work. Let's just stick to a side lunge. Um, you know, that's a main, main movement that athletes need to be able to get into. Frontal plane really isn't dosed a lot. So side lunge could be my main movement. And however, I want to load that, um, I'll go into that. And then I always, with the load and stress, I may superset that with some sort of core exercise, maybe anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion exercise. Because again, that trunk control is really important for movers. We don't want that trunk to sway too far over left and right when I stop on a dime. Because uh, again, basketball is a game of milliseconds. I'm trying to gain milliseconds for my athletes on defense. And then I'm trying to um, subtract milliseconds on offense so they can create more separation. Um, or I may go into you know a, that side lunge and then maybe a medicine ball throw. I'm a huge medicine ball throw uh, person. I've really added a lot of that because we need to be able to create rotation fast. Um, so I may include, like I said, that main movement. And then I'm not just having them do that main movement. I may go into another intensive plyometric, or I may go into like a medicine ball throw or a core, or maybe a, you know, a tri-set. So you can get creative with that just based on the time that you have with your athlete. And then I'll go into my support phases. So maybe that's where I'll throw in like a Copenhagen plank variation, um, you know, some ad more adductor work. Um, I may throw in some more like hamstring work, depending on the day that we, um, that we have. I just want to make sure by the end of the week that I've hit everything. I've hit a hinge. I've hit, um, you know, a lunge, I've hit a bridge, I've hit a squat, um, you know, I've hit um, my hamstring work with knee flexion and knee extension. Um, I've hit some locomotive base pattern. I've hit, um, you know, cr uh, my trunk control, creating and resisting motion um, and all these different just basic movement qualities. And then I didn't even get into upper body, you know, make sure you include a vertical push pull, horizontal push pull so that by the end of the week, I've included everything. Um, and so I see my athletes two or three times a week, just because again, I'm in the private sector, it's a little bit harder. Um, but I just want to make sure that I have those boxes checked off and how you, um, you know, you know, I guess be creative in what you include in your blocks, um, is kind of up to the, where they are and, uh, what works for you guys. Absolutely. Excellent. I think that's, uh, that's really interesting. So Jess, massive thanks for taking us for a whistle stop tour of that. Um, where can people find more information about you and what you're up to? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram mainly, a little bit on TikTok, but the, the handle is still the same, at CoachJRPerformance. Um, and then again, I'm located in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, so anyone that, you know, I'm always down to talk free game. I answer as many Instagram DMs as I can. Um, so please feel free to reach out. It's an honor to be here, um, especially as, you know, a female in this space, really just trying to elevate and grow and provide opportunities for other females and other underdogs that want to be in this industry. So at coach JR performance is my Instagram. I also have my app, uh, JR performance app. You can find that on the app store. I have programs, uh, that, you know, any quality that you need to build, I have programs for it. And I think, uh, that is super helpful for athletes that, and, and coaches, I learn a lot from 
buying other people's programs or buying other people's courses. So I actually created that for trainers to learn of how I program, but then also for athletes that are on a budget that need to train and uh, build that competitive edge. Absolutely excellent. So Jess, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Jess for all of her hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. That means that you can fit them in and around your busy coaching schedule. And of course, when you've completed one of those courses, you'll get a certificate of completion, which means you can improve your ongoing education. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free using that link for seven days. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon of Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.